this week you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump, or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an eight 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 money pit. The money pit is presented by Wagner Sprayers, the Angie app, Roofmax, Pavestone, and Dap. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we want to wish a very happy Father's Day for the dads that are out there and the dad figures in your lives. Maybe you've got a project you'd like to take on to help dad out or one you want to get done for yourself or your family or your friends. If you've got such a project and you need some home improvement help, well, that's why we're here. We're here to help you get them done. So if you need a tip, you need a trick, you need to find a pro, you want to know if you're paying the right price, if you want to know what comes first, second, and third, or if you're stuck in the middle of a project and need some help, well, all great reasons to reach out to us because that's what we do. That's what we've been doing for many, many years. In fact, we've been doing it on this podcast for 2,319 episodes, which is the number for today's episode. So if you've got a project you're planning, reach out to us at one eight 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 Money Pit, or better yet, go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button, record your question, and get the fastest possible response. Coming up on today's show, it's a great time of year for outdoor living. And if you want to step up your space, we've got some tips on how you can build your very own fire pit. And also ahead, why limit your outdoor living to the backyard when there's great space available in your front yard? We're going to discuss ideas for an inviting social front yard outside your home. And summer is prime time for painting projects, and the new high-efficiency airless paint sprayers are making these projects oh so easy. So we're going to explain how they work to help you cut painting time by about a third. But first, we want to know what you want to know. What are you working on this weekend? Are you maybe tackling a project for the father in your life? Maybe you need some help getting that job done quick before he comes back for the surprise? Well, whatever it is, give us a call and we'll lend a hand. The number here is one eight 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 Money Pit, or for the fastest possible response, just go to moneypit.com slash ask. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Martha in Ohio is on the line with a leaky door and a leaky window. What is going on? We had some sliding glass doors in our family room that's paneled, and we had them taken out, and we wanted just a picture window in there. So when they came to do the picture window, they took the door out, the sliding doors out, and, you know, the foundation was like, oh, maybe a block or two uh, up, and the, you know, door had been left empty um, down lower. So what they did was they took um, two-by-fours, I think it was, wood, and built up to the block level and then proceeded to put in the supports for the window. So now... When it, I made a flower bed out there, and now when the ground gets real so saturated and water tends to puddle there, collect, right. it runs under the wood, through the wood. Not surprised. And well, so it sounds like instead of building the foundation up with concrete block, which is what they should have done, they sort of filled it in with wood framing. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, probably wasn't the best choice. That or do we need to start over? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to advise that you seal something that was never done right to begin with. I mean, it really should have been a concrete block. But but having said that, if you are going to trap that much water against the foundation, whether it's a wood 
patch or a concrete block, it's still going to leak. You just can't hold that kind of water against the foundation. We advise against this all the time, Martha, because those sorts of planters and anything else that holds water against a house is just not a good idea, especially in an area like Ohio, where you've got a pretty significant freeze-thaw cycle. Because of that water that saturates the soil, that soil freezes. It's going to push inward on that wall and weaken the, the basement wall. So I would recommend mm-hmm. if you are going to have a planter that you've got to have some drainage in there so that the water does not puddle up. Because if you do trap it against the wall, regardless of how that wall is built, even though it wasn't repaired correctly, uh, it's going mm-hmm. to leak and it's going to cause damage. So I think the issue really is what you did after the fact more so than what they did to uh, install the picture window. Okay? Oh, okay. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> well, thank you so much and have a nice day. You're welcome. Day. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Gary in Virginia is on the line and is dealing with some odor coming from the sink. Tell us what's going on. We do have a, a problem in the bathroom. I'm not sure where it's coming from. I don't know whether it could be trapped gases or whether it could be, I don't think it's anything in the water because it's just in the bathroom. But a lot of times when we take a shower, um, you know, get out and uh, now if we get dried off and everything and, and leave the bathroom and come back in, it's it's. Uh, it's a terrible odor in there. It smells like you know, kind of like a, a sewer, I guess maybe. Right. But um, I mean, we've had our septic pumped out um, last year, and it, you know, it's not bad. But and it, it not only happens in the shower; it can happen in the like if uh, we use the tub, or sometimes if we're at the sink, you know, like we shave you, if I shave or something like that, and uh, and finish up, it's like it comes up to the. Uh, through the pipe, but it doesn't happen every time. It could happen twice a week. It could happen no time. It sounds like something we call biogas. You get bacteria that will form in the drains and in the traps and in the fittings around there, and the bacteria itself has an awful odor to it. So what I would do is I would take the trap apart for the bathroom sink because you can get to that. I would you know, use a bottle brush and scrub the heck out of all of that. I would put it back together and fill the entire trap with oxygenated bleach and let it sit. I would do the same thing for the bathtub. I would take the drain cover off. I would use a bottle brush to get down there and scrub the insides of those pipes. And I would fill those with oxygenated bleach and let them sit because the bleach is going to kill those microbes, kill that bacteria. And that okay. should make a difference. If it is biogas, it smells terrible. And but why, wouldn't it, why wouldn't it do that at... You know, every time. Well, sometimes it's more active than others, is all I could say. But, uh, you know, it depends on a lot of things, including the air pressure in the room. You know, if the room mm-hmm. happens to have a lower pressure because of other things going on in the house, you know, it may draw out or not. So that it's probably there all the time. It's just that you don't smell it because of the airflow. Yeah, you know, what we've had, you know, a plumber look at it and, you know, he's just, he, he can't find the answer either. So, yeah. Well, I I think if you Google biogas, you'll see that there are a lot of folks that have the same issue, and this is how you solve it. Right. Okay? Okay. All right. I appreciate your help. All right, Gary. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring, we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. 
That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Hey, Money Pit listeners, if we've saved you some time, money, or hassles with your projects, you would totally make our day by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Just go to moneypit.com slash review. Reach out to Team Money Pit. Let us know what you are working on, and we might just pick you to win our prize this hour. It's a supply of DAP's advanced hybrid sealants worth 60 bucks. Now, the new sealants outperform silicone in key areas like paintability, which is great because you know sometimes that paint just not go on well. But with DAP's advanced hybrid sealants, you are going to get a beautiful painted surface. Now, there's four types to cover all caulking projects in your home, including the self-leveling concrete sealant that requires no tools. It stays flexible and it's not going to crack, shrink or bubble. And they're backed by a lifetime guarantee. Nine ninety eight a tube, but we've got a set of six worth sixty bucks. That's going out to one listener drawn at random. Make that you reach out to us right now with your questions at one eight 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 Money Pit, or go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. Susan in California is on the line and needs some help with a driveway makeover. What's going on at your Money Pit? <laughs> I'm so glad you said the Money Pit because that's exactly what it is. And now it's the driveway, <laughs> about twelve hundred square feet. And it's uh, been, it's about 38 years old, and it needs something else done, and I really don't want to resurface it with uh, blacktop. What are my options? So it's an asphalt driveway now? That's what you're starting with? Yes. Yeah. Listen, I got news for you, Susan. A 38-year-old roadway needs to be replaced, (laughs) and that's exactly what you have. Whether it's a road that goes down the street or a road that's a highway, nothing lasts 38 years. And if you've gotten 38 years out of that driveway, uh, it's time for a new one. And sure, you can keep slapping sealer on it and patching the cracks and all of that. But at that age, it's got to go. What's the best way? Do they just remove the whole thing and then start from scratch? Or what's the best way to go? I think that's the best way. In most cases, that's the best way. You can resurface it. But if you want to make sure that the base is really solid, you know, you would take off the old, they would put a new base down, they would compact it with machines, so it's really, really solid, and then they would apply new asphalt on top of that. Um, I would make sure I got a specification as to exactly how many inches of this material they're going to put down so that you can compare apples to apples when you're looking at, at different contractors, but I think that's going to be your best solution. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome, Susan. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Michael in Virginia is on the line and is working on a decking project. Tell us about it. Hey, so I've got a 12 by 12 deck that came with the house, and it's about 20 years old. So boards are starting to peel up, and I'm no longer able to get a screw to stick in the sublayment. Am I able to sister the underlying boards with 2 by 4s or something to build up the base, or am I better off replacing all of the... Um, substructure along with the deck. So if it's 20 years old and it sounds like it's not pressure treated and if the existing uh, floor joists have decayed to the point where they won't even hold a screw or a nail, I think it's time to replace that deck structure and all because you're 
you know, the clock is ticking now and it's going to be potentially very unsafe in a very short period of time. So what I would tell you to do is to remove it, replace it and consider uh, using composite for the decking surface. You can use pressure treated for the frame, but use composite for the decking surface between the composite and the pressure treated. You know, you'll get more than another 20 years out of it. Okay. Now I've looked at composites and price wise, they're, they're pretty pricey. Am I going to be able to save a few bucks by going to um, a heavier duty, um, like a two by six kiln dried board and sealing all that when it goes in? Well, the thing is you don't, well, I wouldn't use two by six. What I would use is five quarter by six. If you want to go with the wood decking, but you're going to have to seal and stain that, you know, every couple of years. The thing with composites is all you got to do is clean it. I mean, if you look at like a big box store, like a Home Depot, and those composites are not terribly expensive. They look really good. All right. I'll have to check them out. Because remember, you're not replacing the floor joist with it. You know, you're only doing the deck surface. So if it's 12 by 12, you know, that's 144 square feet. It's 288 lineal feet. It's probably worth it. I see. Now, we are thinking about expanding it out a few feet, too. Yeah, well, that would be the time to do it, you know. <laughs> okay. So you're doing the substructure is still all of the pressure-treated lumber because you need that for the support. And then all of the decking itself and the fascia boards, and you can even do the railings, all of that can be the composite. And it's really gorgeous. You know, I have one that's sort of mid-range, but it has an interesting grain to it and almost looks like an ipe. You know, it's you can get ones that are super simple, and you can get ones that really look exotic. And I think that's where your price point's going to swing a lot. Now, how do you deal with the... Um the railings and the, the fencing it in. So the posts would come up and that would be, you know, the basis for your supports and that would be your pressure treated lumber and that would be built up through from the substructure and then there are sleeves that go over it in the composite. Now you can get ones that match your decking or you can go with white. And then for the substructure, now I am talking about extending this out, um, there are these concrete, I don't know, they're about a foot by a foot um, blocks that you can buy that you can lay your four by six across for, they, they say it's for... Um, decking like in the yard. Am I better off doing that or poured concrete? There are prefabricated footings for decks. They look like sort of like pyramids, but they're not like one by one. They're like one by one by about three feet tall. And they have a place for a bracket on top. I've used those. They work really well. They're a little harder to install because you've got to be more accurate with where the hole is. But frankly, I think the easiest thing to do is just to dig it yourself, uh, a one-foot-by-one-foot square that's a couple of feet deep and uh, you know mix up three or four bags of quickcrete and make that the footing. And then you can drop the pressure treated right into that. And then if you use the right level of pressure treated, it can actually be in ground. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Tom. You got it. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, I really enjoy hiking. And after a long day on the trail, there's nothing quite like relaxing around a campfire. Well, you can actually have that campfire feeling all year long in your very own backyard when you build your own fire pit. Yeah, and you know what? It's not a difficult project, and the easiest way that you can get it done is by using precast outdoor building blocks. Now, Pavestone has a brand called Rumblestone that you stack and fit together kind of like Legos. I mean, Rumblestones, they're easy fast. It's affordable. It's a great way to upgrade your backyard with amenities like outdoor kitchens, benches, a fire pit. So here's how. Now, the first step is you've got to pick an area far enough away from any other buildings. Now, once you've got that spot selected, you want to excavate down a few inches in the shape of the fire pit that you want to build and then tamp and level that base. Now, next is the fun part. It's as easy as stacking blocks. Now, if you've got a round fire pit that's maybe about 10 inches high and about 45 inches across, 
you only need two sizes of rumble stone, the mini blocks and the trapezoidal shaped blocks. And you start by creating a stable level project area. The only thing you need to do is to lay out those trapezoidal and mini blocks in a circle. You alternate each one, and they can even be secured with construction adhesive. There is no mortar required. So if something's a little wobbly, just squirt a dab of construction adhesive underneath it, and you're good to go. Yeah, and three layers of the rumble stone really is all you need. For the second and third level, you want to offset the blocks from the layer beneath it and then just line the bottom with sand and you're going to be ready to fire up those s'mores in no time. Now, Pavestone offers rumble stone fire pit kits with everything that you need starting at 250 bucks, and they're available at the Home Depot. For a complete material list and instructions and even more info, visit pavestone.com and look for the rumble stone videos under the how-to guide. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Paul in New York is on the line. What can we do for you at your money pit? I'd like to uh, finish my basement and make it a more usable area, but I have a problem with... Uh, some water leakage at times. I believe the construction is called a floating slab where there's a uh, weep channel around the edge of the basement that goes into a sump pit. Tell me, when do you seem to have the biggest problem with uh, signs of water coming in or actual water coming in? Heavy rains. All right, so I got great news for you. You don't need anything more than some minor adjustment in the grading and drainage outside. Whenever you have water that leaks in after a heavy rain, that's always caused by 
exterior drainage conditions that are just not right. And usually it's as simple as not having the right gutter set up around the house. You need to have gutters. They need to be clean and free-flowing. And the downspouts, and this is where most people get it wrong, have to be extended a minimum of four to six feet away from the house because those first few feet at the foundation perimeter are where water collects and saturates and then goes down into those basement walls and shows up as a leak inside. So I want you to look at that very, very carefully. The second thing is the angle of the soil at the foundation perimeter has to pitch away from the house. And it has to do so with soil that can drain. Sometimes we see people that pile up a lot of mulch around the house, or they have a lot of topsoil around the house, or they have sort of like a brick edging around some landscaping that kind of acts as a retention pond and holds the water against the house. You basically want to move that water, that first few feet around the house, move it away, get it get it going so that it drains away. It can drop about six inches over the first four feet, but after that, it can move uh, slower with a gentler slope away from the rest of the house. Those two things will solve the vast majority of flooded crawl spaces and flooded basements uh, in this country. The only time you need to install a very expensive sub-slab drainage system is when you have a high water table, and that behaves differently. When you have a high water table, water comes up very slowly. Generally, in the winter, it's typically higher, and then goes down very slowly. And you can actually physically see that water sometimes ponding in a sump pit or something like that. But when you have rain or snow melt, and you get water in your basement, that's because of drainage, and that's really easy to fix. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Leslie caught a survey this week that highlighted the five biggest decor regrets. You want to hazard a guess as to what's among that top five? I can guess, and you know I love it. I'm going to say wallpaper. No, it was what? not a five top five decor regret. No, number, well... Number one, two, and three, for some odd reason, have the same number of responses. Shag carpeting. We can all agree with that. <laughs> uh, here's one I haven't even thought about for a while. Conversation pits and recessed seating. Very sort of, what, 60-ish? That's like a very genre, era, specific. And goes along with the shag carpeting, by the way. Of course, yes. Well, here's another one that happens right today. It's happening all across the country, and that has to do with TV mount- TVs, how they're mounted. TVs mounted above eye level or TVs mounted above a fireplace. People regret them, and probably because you get a crick in your neck by having to look up all the time. It's not really a good angle for that, and it's not a good angle for the sound because the sound kind of goes over your head, right? I mean, we have it for lack of any other place to put it, and I did like a beautiful overmantle. I mean, the whole thing looks lovely. But I could see that. Plus, there's like two ideal spots in the room and everybody fights over them. So, yeah, I get it. And the last one is one we hear about time and time again. Wood paneled walls. (laughs) (laughs) Can't blame you for that. That's so funny. People were reaching back. Well, you can keep reaching back to us with questions on how to get rid of those wood paneled walls. And we will walk you through that project and many more. The number here, 888-MONEYPIT or go to moneypit.com slash ask. Now I've got Allison in New York on the line who has an unwanted visitor at their money pit. What's going on? My husband, I wish he was on with me, but our mission is to humanely trap, we believe to be a squirrel that's running between the drop ceiling in our basement. And my husband said two by eight joint rafters. There's like a two inch space only. And What I want you to do is to go out and pick up a trap called a have a heart trap. Now, these have-a-heart traps are are live traps in that they're going to catch this squirrel, and then you're going to pull this trap out, and you can take them out to the woods somewhere and release them. 
what you do with the have a heart trap is once you get it set up in the back of the trap where you want the squirrel to kind of end up, put an apple back there and don't just put it back there, but wire it to the back wall of the trap. Take a piece of like picture wire, thread it through the apple and kind of tie it off. So because I tell you what, even though these traps are good, those squirrels and other, uh, small rascals can can sometimes grab that without without uh, uh, tripping the door but if you wire it to the back of the trap they don't have a chance and set it near the opening wherever you can get access to it and i'll tell you uh, sooner or later that squirrel's going to wander in that trap and bam you'll hear the door slap and they will not be happy they'll kind of be running in circles trying to figure out a way to get out but you can cover them with a blanket um throw them in the back of your car in the trunk and take it out somewhere. Uh, and then as you open that up, believe me, they're not going to stand around to kind of uh, talk about it with you. They'll just bolt. As soon as you lift that door, they will bolt into the woods. Okay. I hope that helps you out, Allison. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, if you enjoy outdoor living, you'll want to make use of all the space you can, including your front yard. Social front yards are a growing trend that are designed not only for curb appeal, but as a functional space for relaxing and socializing with neighbors. Yeah, you know, the best designs for a friendly front yard make social and functional areas feel connected rather than fragmented. Now, you can do this by limiting obstacles that impede sight lines at the edges of the yard. So to create that feeling of sort of outdoor rooms, you can do that by clustering potted plants to then kind of frame that specific seating area while still keeping the entire yard connected. Now, to make those areas a bit homier, you can add seating areas with fire pits, bistro tables, porch swings, or lounge chairs. And movable furnishings keep things more affordable and adapt to different functions. And for a convenient, family-friendly setting, place adult seating near children's play areas. Yeah, and speaking of the kids, you know, it's great if they can play in the front yard, but you might need some fencing to keep them safe from the street. If you do, you want to consider semi-transparent options like waist-high fences with moderate gaps instead of those imposing barriers like tall hedges and solid fencing. This way, your guests can stay safe while the yard doesn't feel kind of closed off to passerbys. Like, I do love that feeling of the open front yard, but I also love hanging out in the front. Now, plants can also help make a social front yard inviting while still creating a bit of privacy. You want to use plantings near the edges for long, unimpeded sight lines or to create the illusion of a larger yard. And smaller canopy trees or tall ornamental shrubs, they can punctuate the edges of those social spaces. Light and airy plants or tall grasses are really ideal for designing those semi-private zones that are still very welcoming. And low water species are an excellent choice that need minimal maintenance. Yeah, you know, creating a front yard oasis not only expands your living space and makes your home more enjoyable, but it also makes your neighborhood more friendly and walkable. I love it. John in Missouri, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I have a pressure-treated wood I've used, and I've put it on, I've sealed it with a solid stain uh, paint, and it seems like within, after two years, my wood it starts to rot, it gets soft. I want to know why is this happening? It's pressure-treated wood. When you stained it, first of all, did you do all sides of the board, including the bottom edge of the slat? Because very often that's where moisture gets pulled in. I did the whole board, and I could then I assemble it, and it just seems like it holds the uh, like a moisture within it. And within, I can say two years, it's get you almost push on it and soft or it starts rotting. Yeah, I suspect that it's. It, I mean, there's different layers of pressure treatment, but I suspect whatever was done to this was not done very well. You know, I had some uh, some landscape ties that were allegedly pressure treated, and within a couple of years, they were rotted away. I stepped on them one day and went right through it. So I suspect that the quality of the wood 
uh, in this fencing wasn't really what you expected it to do. I've taken just plain fur fence um, and I've treated it with wood life and made sure that the bottom of the fence was up at least two to three inches over the grass because otherwise it gets a lot of moisture that pulls up into it. And I've had fences like that that I treated and then I used the solid color stain on last 15 years. Just because it's pressure treated or, or not well pressure treated doesn't mean it can't last, but I think it's a combination of the installation uh, and then the treatment of the stain uh, and that, that was used initially. Okay, because see, like I have a boat dock and it's over the water. And I just put clear sealer over it. And you know what? It lasts It lasts longer than uh, me sealing it with same paint. And it comes down to the quality of the wood itself. And whatever this fence was made out of just is not comparable to what your dock's made out of, John. Sorry to tell you that, but I think that's what's going on. Well, if you've ever had a project that requires caulk, you might know that trying to find the right caulk when you're going through an aisle with hundreds of options is a bit of a challenge. Well, DAP is out now with a new product called Advanced Hybrid Sealants, and it's multifunctional products. They totally outperform silicone in key areas like paintability and even go on wet surfaces. And we've got six tubes of this to give away to one very fortunate caller. They're worth $9.98 each, so the total package is worth about 60 bucks. And there's four different types. It covers all the different caulking projects in your home, like gutter and flashing caulk. This is a kind of a specialized caulk. It helps you with roof leaks, helps you with gutter leaks, easy to apply. It stays flexible and totally crack-proof. So if you'd like to win that complete group of caulks from DAP, give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT. That's 888-666-3974. Judy in Minnesota is on the line with a moisture issue. What's going on? Our house is about 40 years old, and it has in the, the room that we're talking about, we're painting it. We painted it once before with a primer, and and uh, it turned out really nice. I thought it looked really nice, but now um, we we repainted it a different color, and um, and on the inside then is that rough paneling, and it's separated by um, it's got the insulation in there with the plastic on it, and we we notice now when we're going to paint it that there's moisture like halfway down. On the paneling, we think that's caused by condensation. It may very well be um, if it's a damp space. Now there are some things that you can do to reduce condensation in below grade spaces. It's kind of the same steps that you would take if you were having an actual flood. You want to make sure that your exterior drainage is set up so that no moisture is being trapped against the outside foundation wall, and that means making sure the gutters are clean, the downspouts are extended, and the soil slopes away from the walls. If you've done all those things, then the next thing I would do is I would install a dehumidifier in that space and try to find one that has a built-in condensate pump so that it collects water and pumps it out. Otherwise, you'll be emptying buckets upon buckets of water. And then finally, it's also possible to install a whole home dehumidifier, which is an appliance that is attached to your HVAC system. These are highly effective at pulling moisture out. In fact, most of them will take 99 or 100 pints of water out a day. So those are three different ways that you can reduce moisture in that space. Judy, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. So do you have a big paint project in mind this summer season, like painting your deck, a fence, or perhaps even the exterior of your home? Well, as challenging as that size job sounds, it's actually much easier to accomplish thanks to the new high-efficiency paint sprayers from Wagner. Now, these paint sprayers feature high-efficiency airless technology that produces up to 55% less overspray, so there's no wasted paint. 
Now they output a high quality finish with better control, plus that job goes very quickly because the paint actually goes down three times faster than a roller. Yeah, these Wagner sprayers are really easy to use. They're good for DIYers who are just learning about airless spraying. You can save money by taking on some big project yourself instead of hiring a contractor. And using that sprayer actually does a better job than a brush on uneven surfaces like a fence, for example. I used the Wagner Control Pro 170 on my fence because it actually pulls paint or stain directly from either a one or five gallon bucket, which is really useful because you don't have to keep going back and reloading up with more paint. Plus, with a board and board fence, man, you've got all kinds of nooks and crannies to get that paint into, and spraying it was really the only way to go. So it worked really well. You guys will like these products. Check them out at wagnerspraytech.com. Heading to Tennessee, and apparently so are the moles, to Kim's yard. What's going on? <laughs> yes, I'm trying to get rid of these moles in my yard. Please help me. Well, one of the ways to get rid of moles in your yard is to not make your yard quite so attractive by getting rid of the grubs that are in your lawn. Moles are usually there because there's plenty of food. And so if you used a product like GrubX to get rid of the grub, that's the grubs. These are little white, juicy insects that moles just love. And if you get rid of the grubs, then the moles will find a new place to eat. But if there's plenty of grubs, there's plenty of food, they're going to stay in your yard. Does that make sense? All right. Well, good. Thank you so much. I'll try the grub it. Mickey in New York reached out to Team Money Pit, and he said, I'm redoing parts of my kitchen. I want to add a glass tile backsplash. Do I need to put anything on the wall under that tile, or can I just put adhesive straight on the wall? I think you could probably glue it right to the wall. What do you think? I mean, I guess it depends on whether you ever think in the future you're going to get tired of it, because that's when you get into trouble, right? When you try to take it off and you destroy the wall in the, pro- in the process. So your options are either to go right on it, or you could think about putting a thin piece of plywood over that area first, like quarter-inch plywood, and then glue right to that. And this way, you know, it would be easier to take down at some point in the future. What do you think? I mean, I kind of like the idea of using the plywood because then it's its own thing rather than adding it to the wall, like you're saying. The other thing you could do is, and a backsplash doesn't take that much water, but you can use a waterproof membrane, something there that sort of acts as like it's like a green board or something that you'd use more in the shower. But still, since you're going to get some water in some areas, that could be helpful as well. Yeah, but you know, that's the same with any kind of decor projects like that, right? I mean, it looks great now. It's, it's trendy now, but at some point, it's not going to be so trendy. Either you or your future owner that you might sell the house to is going to have to deal with potentially removing it. So all good things to think about when you take on that project initially. Well, if you're heading outside for home repairs up high, a sturdy ladder is a help as long as gravity doesn't get the best of you. You know, ladder falls send hundreds of people to emergency rooms every year, and some falls can even be fatal. Leslie's got safety tips for using a ladder the right way in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie? Yeah, you know, the biggest mistake with ladders is when you're like, ah, you know what, I'm going to do it this way. And that's taking shortcuts. And that is so dangerous. Now, in order to be safe, a ladder needs to remain stationary. For extension ladders, you need to level the feet. If you got to dig out the ground to do so, do so. Or use ladder levelers. Those things exist for a reason. You have to make sure that that ladder is stable. Now, if you've got hard, dry ground, you want to rest those feet flat, free of slippery plastic tarps and debris. You want to make sure that the textured rubber pads are intact. If you're using a ladder on grass or soft ground, you want to flip those feet up and then drive the spiked end into the ground or lay the feet flat and then tie them down on the side or brace them in the front 
with one by two stakes. I know it seems like a lot of extra steps, but you have to be careful. I mean, I watched my boyfriend slip off a ladder. Luckily, he wasn't hurt. Our guy, Warren, he fell off a ladder, broke his ankle. There's so many things that happen. Even Billy, who I work with over at ABC, he fell off the ladder, hurt his knee. So you have to be careful. You cannot take these shortcuts. Now, when it comes to positioning the ladder, you want to make sure that the distance from its base to the wall is one quarter of the height of the ladder at its resting point. That's going to create a 75-degree angle. For a quick check on the angle of your ladder, you want to stand facing it with your feet touching the ladder's feet, and then your arms kind of extended. Now, your palm should rest on a rung at shoulder height. That's going to tell you that that's secure and it's at the right angle. You always want to look overhead before you climb up that ladder or if you're carrying a ladder to make sure there's no wires. And then don't rest an extension ladder against a tree or a pole because then that ladder can rotate and then you're going to fall. I mean, it seems simple. You think, eh, I got this ladder. I'm going to do this project. Just take the extra time and be safe because we want to keep you all around, guys. We don't want anybody to get hurt. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Coming up next time in the program, we're going to talk garden sheds. Yep, she sheds, man caves, any kind of shed. It can always be a great addition to your backyard, but is it best to build one or to buy one? I recently dug into this topic and came up with options for building one, buying one, building one from scratch, and building one from prefab. And I came up with some interesting observations. We're going to share those tips and more on the very next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a Money Pit. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.